And a frantic start to our program with the Ukrainians from Leeds, England, and a brand new release from an EP that they put out uh, just this past November. And that was a unique, frantic Cossack folk punk take on the most famous Ukrainian song in the world, which is Carol of the Bells, but it is known in Ukrainian circles as Shedrik, and it was written as a winter well-wishing song back in 1916 by Ukrainian composer Mykola Leontovich at a time of intense political struggle and social upheaval in Ukraine. After a concert, uh, one of many in the West, it was heard and adapted into what we all now know and love as Carol of the Bells. Vitaiu vas vsih shanovni radio suhachi na radio peredachu nash holos radio krinskoho korinya pomereji PCJ radio. Yakapodeyatsi vam and liskuyu movius britanskuyu kolumbiv kanadi. Svami pavina makwari, diakuyu shori shale pedibutazim noyu nastupnu hadenu. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you from Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada, courtesy PCJ Radio International. I'm your host, Paulette Demchuk Macquarie, Pokadinska Pavlina, and I'm delighted to have you with me. We've got a great program lined up for you today and kind of an interesting one. We're in that transitional period now between, uh, well, actually, it's bringing the Christmas season and New Year season to an end in Ukrainian tradition. We're still kind of there on the edge, so it'll be a little bit of New Year's songs um, and seasonal songs coming up for you. As well, we have a documentary performed by, or produced rather by BBC World Service, which came to us courtesy Keith Perron of uh, PCJ Radio International. And it's uh, bringing us up to date on what is going on in eastern Ukraine. So stay tuned for that. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, a few other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a group from Ukraine called Pravitsya, and it is another Shchedrivka, which is another of those ubiquitous, well-wishing songs at this time of year. Shedrivechir 
Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Order your tickets today for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. For over 50 years, CNUF has showcased the very best in Ukrainian culture through music, food, and of course, incredible dancing. Get your early bird weekend passes right now for only $85. Your weekend pass is your passport to a full weekend of activities and live ongoing entertainment. Canada's National Ukrainian Festival August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. For more information, see cnuf.ca. Ой, ти пташечку, ти соколоньку, святий вечір, Божий вечір, в чистеньким полі світлонька стоїть. Святий вечір, Божий вечір, у тій світлонці, Господаронько, святий вечір, Божий вечір, Господаронько. Встає раненько, святий вечір, Божий вечір, встає раненько, миє личенько, святий вечір, Божий вечір, ставить столоньки, утрі рядоньки, святий вечір, Божий вечір, стелить обруси, самі ляні. Святий вечір, Божий вечір, Каде хлібонько, житний пшеничник. Святий вечір, Божий вечір, Житний пшеничник, Богу величник. Святий вечір, Божий вечір, Ой, ти пташечка, Сосоку, сосоку, Святий вечір,
and a couple of New Year's well-wishing tunes for you there on the same theme, usually about a bountiful evening or dinner, and uh, they pretty much all have the same title, something like Szczesity Vacher, and uh, so that you heard from uh, Corinna from Calgary, and before them, Andriana Knapp from the Eastern United States. And just to uh, remind us that it is still technically, officially, on the liturgical calendar anyways, uh, Christmas season, we've got Picaridiska Teresia next with Radoisia. Rejoice! Radoisia, radoisvoju, vospivaju, Tarkis mutok mojich poznavaju. Radoisia, divo, radoisia, 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 Живот мы рови, Alleluia, 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 Allelu
a group from Ukraine called Pelorem and a contemporary Christmas song called Spas Narodelsia. January 19th on the Julian calendar kind of wraps up the Christmas season for uh, Ukrainians and it is called the Feast of Yordan or Jordan. The River Jordan is what it relates uh, refers to and that being the baptism of Christ. And it's pretty much as big as Christmas for Ukrainian Christians. So up next, we've got a recent report from UATV about Yordan as it's celebrated in Ukraine now. And the other is a bit of a blast from the past, digging into Nashol's audio archives for a timeless feature that explains what the three feasts of Christmas are all about. Every year on January 19th, the Christian world celebrates one of the most significant holidays, the Baptism of Jesus Christ or Epiphany. This holiday is a reminder for all of the ceremony of Baptism of Jesus Christ in the River of Jordan on his 30th birthday. The word Baptism has its roots in the Greek language, meaning to submerge in water. Orthodox Epiphany has been recognized and celebrated from the times of Old Rus and was celebrated lavishly. Today the tradition still exists. After the religious ceremony takes place, everyone plunges into the closest body of water where the ice has been broken into a cross-shaped opening. Not even the freezing temperatures of the winter cold could stop those who believe in this ritual. It is believed that those who swim in the ice-cold waters shouldn't fear the cold temperatures, as the water will heal all of those who submerge of all illness and revive the body, but only so long as the person has said a prayer and truly believes in the powers of the epiphany. Those willing to experience the individual cleansing and blessing are welcome to enter the water and must also submerge their bodies completely underwater three times while crossing themselves and saying a prayer. In Kyiv and all over Ukraine, the tradition has been gaining great popularity in the last few years. The main ceremony in the capital takes place at Hydro Park at the banks of the Dnieper River. Local employees of the embassy, such as Sergei Mahov and his eight-year-old son, were a little more used to the cold waters. By tradition, January 19th is the coldest day of the year. Believers also rely on the day's weather to predict summer and the results of the year's harvest. For example, a clear and cold sunny day means a dry summer is ahead. Snowy and foggy day is a sure sign of a rich harvest that year. As a rule, the bigger the snowflakes, the better the harvest. Perhaps the saddest part of the day for children and adults alike is the fact that Epiphany represents the official end of the Christmas and New Year holidays in this part of the world. I'm Vasily Pavlovsky, and this is Cultural Capsule, especially for Nash Holos. Given that Christmas has just passed, according to those who follow the Julian calendar, which include both Orthodox and Greek Catholic Ukrainians, it would be appropriate for me to greet you with the phrase, Christos Rodivsia, Christ is born, to which the appropriate response would be, Slavimoyho, let us glorify him. This greeting is appropriate all the way through until Yordano, or January 19th which is the day that Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. Thus, if you ever find yourself in Ukraine during this time of year, do not be surprised if someone greets you in such a manner. In one of the best-known Ukrainian carols, Dobry Vecher Tobi, Good Evening to You, which is sang to the owner of a household when caroling, there are a number of stanzas in succession which sing of three holidays, which will come to believers as guests. The first of these will be the birth of Christ, which... You all know, according to the Julian calendar, falls on January 7th. The second is the Feast of St. Basil, which falls on January 14th, the Old New Year. Contemporary Ukrainians often celebrate the coming of the Old New Year with a ball or banquet. This event is referred to as the Malanka and is the Feast of St. Melania the Younger and falls on the eve of the New Year. This evening is also called Shedri Vecher, and during this period, it is possible for carolers to visit in Senkolyade and Shedrivke, hence the name of Gliantovich's famous song Shedri. The third and final holiday mentioned in the carol is Vodokhrestia, which falls on January 19th. 
The etymology of this word is from the words for water, voda, and christening, christenia. This is the day which Christ was baptized in the River Jordan. And this being the case, the holiday is by some referred to as Jordani. On this day, and for some time after it, the faithful greet each other slightly differently. Christos Christivsia, Christ was christened, to which the appropriate response is Uriti Jordani in the River Jordan. I'm Vasil Pavlovsky, and this week's cultural capsule featured the three holidays of the season, which visit Orthodox and Eastern Rite Catholics. To all listeners of Nasholos, may your larders and wallets be full, that health always be with you, and may you live long and prosper. Up next is a documentary produced by BBC World Service, which comes to us courtesy Keith Perron of PCJ Radio International. The editor of assignment on the BBC World Service contacted Keith earlier this month to let him know about this feature, as BBC is aware that PCJ Radio syndicates a Ukrainian program internationally, that being, of course, Nash Holis. So Keith kindly passed it on to me to share with you. The documentary is called Ukraine's Frontline Bakery. BBC's Lucy Ash meets the staff and customers of a bakery which is the one bright spot in war-torn East Ukraine. It's the first new business in the town since the fighting began, and it's bringing some hope and comfort to its traumatized citizens. I'm Lucy Ash, and for assignment on the BBC World Service, I'm in Marinka, a town on the front line in eastern Ukraine. <laughs> A pensioner buys vegetables in an almost deserted market. Marinka was once a bustling town of more than 10,000 people in Ukraine's eastern Donbass region, famous for coal mining. In the park, there are Soviet-era portraits of heroic workers, medals pinned to their chests. Now, mines and factories lie idle. Half the population has left for jobs in safer parts of the country. But I want you to meet someone still working here. I first came to Marinka in 2014, three days after it was liberated. I was with two other humanitarian aid workers, and it was like a ghost town. Alekt Kachenko is a tall man in a leather jacket with a page boy haircut. He arrived here at the beginning of the war. Marinka was first captured by pro-Russian separatists, then retaken by the Ukrainian army four months later, or, as he puts it, liberated. To actually come to a town which didn't exist, no people, no cars, no birds, no cats, it was a terrible situation. Marinka is still on the edge of a war zone, in the area the Ukrainian government calls the anti-terrorist operation zone. Alieg, a company boss turned pastor, who always seems to have one ear glued to his mobile phone, had the skills and money to leave this area, but he decided to stay. Even more than that, he decided to do something that in its small way is quite remarkable. He set up a little business in Marinka, the first in the town since the war began. He takes me into a battle-scarred building, once a supermarket, where customers line up for fresh bread, buns and little pies stuffed with cabbage. It came to me in a flash we have to open a bakery right here in Marinka. In the town, people were saying, the smell of fresh bread, normal life has returned. Life is very far from normal here. The fighting is in its fourth year and there's no end in sight. But Alieg's bakery provides some comfort amidst the trauma which has engulfed this town. So in this week's assignment, the story of a single bakery, I'll be following the bread, not the money, to learn more about daily life in eastern Ukraine's war zone. Every customer of the bakery has a story to tell. 
What kind of bread do you buy? I ask a pensioner with watery blue eyes. Rye bread and white bread. My husband likes rye, but I don't really care as long as there is bread. Olga Shebel and her husband Nikolai settled in this town more than 30 years ago after they were evacuated from the contaminated zone around the Chernobyl nuclear power station. The war has separated Olga from her children and grandchildren. When was the last time you saw them? When? In June. And after that? There was fighting. I can't. It's hard. Our children are only one and a half kilometers from us, and I can't see them. Olga's daughters live on the other side of the front line, in an area controlled by the Russian-backed rebels in the breakaway Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR. You need special permission to go there. A teacher comes into the bakery to pick up 35 jam-filled buns. We follow her to the local kindergarten, where three- and four-year-olds are stomping around in time to music. March nicely, chins up, says their teacher. The building was badly damaged by heavy artillery fire, and the pupils have only just moved back in. As the children drink their tea and devour the buns, Nadezhda Gotla, one of the teachers, urges them to say thank you. We are very grateful because it's hard to go through the day from 7 or 8 in the morning without something to eat. Now the children really look forward to their snack. Every morning we ask them what day it is. Today they said it's Monday and we will have our buns. How safe do they feel at the nursery school? We have a good bomb shelter here. We call it our secret room. It's got a sofa, some books and water, and we read fairy tales there. If there is a loud noise, the children shudder for a second. Then they see that everything is okay, and they go back to normal. Of course, we talk about the war. I mean, we tell them about the danger from landmines which are scattered all over the place. But in the kindergarten, we also try to distract them from all the negative things around us. I've come to see Olga Shebel, the customer I met this morning at the bakery, who's not so easily distracted and mourns her past life. She and her husband are camping out in a house belonging to another family who have fled the town. Now we are over 60 and, and we don't have our own place to live. When I get undressed, I have nowhere to put my clothes. There isn't even a bed here. Olga rummages around in a cardboard box next to a mattress on the floor and pulls out some photographs. Wedding pictures, her well-tended garden where her family used to gather around a big table for celebrations. The house is now uninhabitable and the garden destroyed. It was beyond the roadblock on the territory that does not belong to either side. It's a place where there is neither DNR nor Ukraine. It's just that they shoot from both sides. Who do you blame for what's happened, I ask her. Those who gave them arms. Why do we civilians have to go and hide in cellars? Where has all the destruction come from, the blood and deaths? What is it all for? No one can say. Back at the bakery, Aliag is checking on sales. The assistant says, good, best day so far this week. The bakery gives some bread away and sells the rest at below market prices. It needs to make enough to cover costs and pay its seven employees. 
Ali spends his days in Marinka, but at night he goes home to another town further from the front line. I notice he doesn't hide his political sympathies. There's a blue and yellow Ukrainian flag planted on his dashboard. On the way, we pass a long queue of cars waiting at the crossing point to enter the rebel-held DNR. Many in Marinka have relatives on the other side. Some lug supplies and sometimes contraband back and forth. Sometimes you can get through quickly, but the queues can stretch back for more than 10 miles, says Alieg. At home, Alieg's wife Yevgenia is playing with the two youngest children. Alieg once ran a successful machine tools company in the regional capital, Donetsk, which is now in rebel-held territory. He sought solace in the church after his eldest daughter was killed in a car crash and his first wife died after a long illness. That was before the war. Today, he dedicates his life to helping others. I had loads of opportunities to go somewhere else and build a new life of comfort. But we turned down those opportunities. Because when you're in a war zone, you are touched by the pain of the people there, and they become family to you. How does Yevgenia feel? Wouldn't she like to leave? Well, of course I have had those thoughts and desires. Of course I have. It's just that when you look around, you realize that your roots are here, your whole life is here, that these are your people. I just can't bring myself to leave them. Yet she admits that she worries for her children and also for relatives still in rebel-held Donetsk, who she fears could be punished for Alieg's activities. The Orthodox Church is dominant in eastern Ukraine, and some see evangelical Christians like Alieg as a threat. He left the town of Slavyansk in 2014 after separatists occupied a Protestant church and murdered another pastor. You know, there are three kinds of people who are in a lot of danger here. Businessmen, Christians or priests, and pro-Ukrainians. We pretty much belong to all three categories. But Aliak has carried on with his humanitarian work, running after-school clubs and organizing holidays in western Ukraine for the town's children. Throughout the war, he's been helping to deliver food to frontline towns. But by the time the bread got to Marinka, it was always cold and stale. So he and a fellow pastor decided a bakery was needed, whatever the obstacles. Firstly, the place could be bombed. Then we worried about our staff. How would they get to work and back safely? Then there was the lack of electricity or water. There were so many factors which screamed at us. No, we shouldn't be doing this here. And when we opened, it was a miracle. The following evening, Aliag's in the bakery discussing the oven temperatures with his staff. Equipment was bought with the help of foreign aid, $10,000 from Canada, where there's a big Ukrainian diaspora, and truckloads of flour were donated by the Czech Republic. Natasha is making the dough for the black bread in huge mixing bowls the size of a bathtub, and um, she's slowly adding water from a blue plastic cup. Natasha, a woman of few words and bulging biceps, needs the dough at an impressive speed. She used to work at the town's bread factory until it was destroyed by an artillery shell. It now lies out of bounds in no man's land. Olya and Tanya were employed by the town's dairy, now closed down. Olya, outspoken and ruddy-cheeked, says she's grateful for her new job. We make enough to pay the electricity bills and we have enough bread, it's good. It's not so frightening when you work as a team. I hate to be alone in the house when the fighting is going on. Here it's easier to endure. It's an island of peace. When you go out in the streets, the shooting starts, even kids have been hit. 
Now finally the first batch has come out of the oven. А вот это это ржаной. Ага. So the rye bread is being taken out now. But sporadically all through the night while we've been here there's been rumble of uh, shelling and occasional gunfire. And the women who work here they hardly notice that anymore. Co-baker Tanya lives with her husband, a retired miner, and their 14-year-old son. They could leave. So why don't they? Yes, we thought about it, and we would like to, but where can we go? And who needs us? Some feel trapped in Marinka because they have to care for elderly relatives. Others can't afford to move. Tanya wants to be near Danetsk for another reason. My parents are buried in the cemetery there, and my brother too. He died young in a mining accident. We did go this year, but you know, to spend 15 minutes at the grave site, you have to spend the whole day in a queue at the crossing point. I used to just go there on my bicycle. As the night wears on, the women's frustrations pour out. Scraping the baking trays, Olya complains about the Ukrainian army. She says many local houses have been looted by soldiers, and she doesn't find their presence reassuring. In 2014, we didn't know who was firing, but we have been here as long as the war has, and now we know our houses are targeted. We are the ones who suffer. The soldiers used to be friendlier, says Tanya. But now, when you see them in the street, they don't even say hello. They call us separatists. They say, you went to vote. You wanted this referendum on independence for the Donetsk region. I didn't want that. All I wanted is to live better. But anyway, in my family, we didn't go and vote. I am for a united Ukraine. I can't speak for others. Tanya's talking about the referendum in May 2014, which was held in several towns in the east, but wasn't recognized by the Ukrainian government. Following the poll, separatist forces declared the breakaway republics of Donetsk and Lugansk. Olya breaks in at this point. You know, people here, they don't care who is in charge. They could be Tatars or Mongolians for all we care. We just don't care, as long as there is peace. We didn't understand this before, but now it's a golden word for us. We were used to living here with our children, with our families, uh, but now our children have left and the family has been broken up by the war. Everything has fallen apart because of the war. We're going to the place where the Ukrainian army is positioned just on the outskirts of Marinka. Um, apparently there was some trouble there last night. There was quite a lot of shelling, but I'm told it's quiet today. When we arrive at their position, a former hospital with smashed windows and wires poking out of the walls and ceilings, Aliag walks ahead of me, clutching half a dozen freshly baked loaves of bread. He's come to introduce himself and the bakery to the soldiers. They've only arrived a few weeks ago because there's been a troop rotation. The bread is put carefully into a metal cabinet by the battalion's cook, who tells me there are rats and mice running around. Then the army press officer who's brought us here, Lieutenant Ivan Burdyuk, takes us to the commander's bunker. Ivan, who's that talking? This, this guy from another point. Observation point, you know, um, uh, for everyone to know what is happening there. Just ringing and saying what they can see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was observing some uh, explosion, you know. To my surprise, the commander is a 22-year-old in a beanie hat. When the war started, he was a cadet. What does he think about it now? He said that uh, this is some sort of show to earn some money, I don't know, for some higher people. High up people. Yeah. Uh, who, who's earning the money? 
Jauna nicht, ja. Obviously not him. Obviously not you, yeah. This is his uh, personal opinion. He said not not the country earn the money. Some persons who are in the shade. Are you talking like about politicians or oligarchs or private military commanders? We don't see them, but there are persons who get some money from this war. If no one will need this war, it would be stopped. The commander is also candid about the shortages of equipment, such as night vision goggles and medical kits. Even the press officer Ivan admits the army is often reliant on volunteers and charities for supplies, rather than the government. And something else is lacking, a strong broadcasting signal. Many people in the Donetsk region can only access Russian TV, and that doesn't help the army's relations with local people, says Ivan. Oleg was saying, well, the people in Marinka, they, they are very happy to see the Ukrainian yeah, they, army. They, they are really too happy uh, that we stay here and defend them. But all the people, uh, they are watching Russia today here because we have very poor signal Ukrainian uh, of the Ukrainian channels here. So uh, when the people uh, are watching Russia today, for example, they are stop uh, thinking. It so you mean that it makes them anti-Ukrainian yeah, army? Anti yeah, they start thinking like... Russia needed, you know. It's difficult, it's a very complicated situation here. Before I leave, I go to the top of the building to get my bearings and a bird's eye view of the town. That was just the bell from the church in Marinka. I'm not going to come out any further onto this roof because there are snipers over there. The town centre is only about four or five hundred metres away. That's where the bakery is and the market. Back in the centre of town, elderly people queue outside the town hall for a winter coal allowance. But a rouse started because only those in the red zone closest to the front line are eligible. I've been here from the start living under the shelling. It's not fair, says a woman. Aren't we people too, splutters an elderly man. It's a chaotic scene, with people pushing and shouting over each other. I go upstairs to see if Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Teslia, a military man, now the acting mayor in Marinka, can sort things out. My budget is zero hryvnias, so I feel more upset about all this than you. And fixing up houses and helping people and creating better living conditions I cannot do this because I don't have the means. He snaps that he's doing his best and I should address my questions to hire up people in Kiev. But he softens a bit when I ask him about the bakery. How much of a difference has it made to the town? The smell of bread when you are walking down the street, it's very important. As important as the air we breathe. If Oleg was making slippers or perfume, that wouldn't matter much. But bread is our staple food. And when you pick up a loaf, which is warm and fluffy, not delivered from Zaporozhye, which is 200 kilometers away, but it's fresh from the local bakery, it makes you feel better. I've come to visit Olya the baker. She's at home now after her night shift and shows me the cellar where she hid during the worst of the shelling. By the light of my cell phone, I can see jars of pickled vegetables and jams neatly stacked on shelves. There's very little space. How long did Olya have to stay down here? Sometimes 40 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes half a day, and sometimes all day and all night, like on the 3rd and 4th of June 2015. They bombed us constantly for 16 hours. We had bangs and explosions. Ooh, baba. Ooh, babu. And the ground was trembling, the house was shaking. 
Of course we were scared, and I was worried about my mother. We couldn't get her down here because she was paralyzed, so she was stuck in the house all the time. And I couldn't reach her by phone, there's no signal down here. Across the road, a tiny girl called Lilia was killed when a shell went through her bedroom. She was only six months old. Olya's father had a leg amputated after he was hit by shrapnel, and he later died. She points out her roof, which has been patched up by volunteers. Her co-worker Tanya's house, just down the road, has also been hit several times. Many adults and children are psychologically, if not physically, scarred by the fighting. Looking at the faces of those taking part in the weekend service at Alieg's church opposite the bakery, it's clear that living in a war zone has taken its toll. Alieg tells me the divorce rate here has rocketed. A number of couples are driven apart by split political allegiances. Others turn to drink or drugs to cope with the stress. The longer I spend with Alieg, the more I feel I understand what motivates him. Over a cup of tea, he tells me that his surviving daughter from his first marriage was caught up in a terrifying incident at the beginning of the war. She was in a minibus driving through the capital, Donetsk, when armed men opened fire. You know, despite the fact that the bullet from the machine gun went through her seat, she wasn't hurt. For me, this was a turning point. I prayed to God. I said, if anything happens to her, I'm a fit bloke. I've served in the army. I do sport. And my priority is to defend my motherland and my family. So at that point, I had a clear choice. I could either take a gun in my hands and punish those people who had come here and started this war with us, or to continue my work in the church. But the fact that God has saved her, that made me understand my duty is to serve people, to save people, to bring spiritual values to the world. And that's your answer to why we didn't leave. That's why we are still here. Many thanks to Keith Perron of PCJ Radio International, who brought us that documentary produced by BBC World Service. For over 50 years, Canada's National Ukrainian Festival in Dauphin, Manitoba has showcased the very best in Ukrainian culture, music, food and dancing August long weekend. Get your early bird weekend passes for only $85. For more information and tickets, see cnuf.ca. Jumping, 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 jumping
and a little bit more of a traditional version of the song that opened our program. And that is probably a little bit more like what it has sounded like a hundred years ago. That was performed by Lunaf of Victoria right here on Vancouver Island. And up next, another girl group, this one from Ukraine, the unmistakable vocals of Nina Matvienko and her group Zolichi Kluchi with another Shedri Vechir. Coming up this week in Vancouver's Ukrainian community. This coming Friday, enjoy a pierogi supper at St. Mary's Ukrainian Orthodox Center, 13512 108th Avenue in Surrey. Doors are open from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. For more information, you can call them at 604-531-1923 or 604-581-0313 or visit their website, www.uocstmarysurrey.com. Nash Holos airs in international syndication on PCJ Radio International, broadcasting to over 20 countries on AM, FM, shortwave, and satellite radio. On Wednesdays, catch Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, broadcasting live from Nanaimo to North and Central Vancouver Island, the Gulf Islands, the Sunshine Coast, Northwest Washington State, and in the Greater Vancouver Listening Area. Join me, Paulina, for the first hour in English, and Oksana Poparajnik for the second hour in Ukrainian. That's Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Time on CHLY 101.7 FM on the radio dial and streaming online at chly.ca. And at 6 p.m. Saturday evenings, flip your dial right back here to AM 1320CHMB Vancouver or catch the live stream at am1320.com. And join me, Pavlina, for another hour of fun on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Please send dedications, requests, and suggestions to producer at nasholos.com. Your comments are always welcome. In between broadcasts, follow Nash Holos on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog. And for audio archives, transcripts, podcast feeds, and more, visit our website at www.nashholos.com. <laughs> Святий вечір, добрим людям. 
Nowitzki sisters from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Pavochka, the peacock. For the very best in Ukrainian programming, tune in to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio on air in Vancouver, Nanaimo, and international syndication, or online. If you miss the live radio transmissions of any edition of the show, get the podcast links at www.nasholos.com. Connect with us there in between broadcasts for audio files, transcripts, and more, including a link to our Patreon site, where we'll be sharing additional content with patrons of the show. So if you've been waiting for print compilations of recipes, proverbs, and the like, then do check us out. You'll find a link on the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. As well, please follow us on Twitter, like the Nasholos Facebook page, and check out our blog. I love hearing from you, so please send your suggestions, dedications, and requests. Your comments are always welcome. And our proverb of the week translates as no one knows where his fate awaits him. Well, our time is about up, so we've got one last Shtetrivka for this season of 2017-2018 by Volen. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM1320. Thanks for listening and Dobranich. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.